0: Well hello everyone, good morning. Just realized the battery's about to die so that's why Ewan's coming up behind me. Good morning, there we go. Thanks Ewan, can we say thank you Ewan? All right. Wow, so it's 9th of December. Can you believe Christmas is two and a half weeks away? Hey, doesn't it come up quick? I just woke up this morning and I was like, wow, I swear it was just yesterday that I woke up and it was the first of January and I was making just a whole series of New Year's resolutions. But is it just me or does life just go really fast? And then you kind of get to Christmas and then you're like, oh man, I've got to get like all these Christmas presents and it just gets really, really busy. And so this year um, we wanted to do a month-long series, A Season of Hope. So that we can just give Christmas just a bit more profile and so that the Christmas service isn't just like a, a blip in our calendar. Because, you know, I think like just in the hustle and the bustle and the busyness of our lives, sometimes the whole message of Christmas can just get crowded out, you know. And I was, I was thinking about it today that for me Christmas is about one thing and it's the same thing that Easter is about. And that, that thing is fulfillment. That's what cri- Christmas is for me. It's fulfillment. God has made a series of promises to us, and then he fulfills those promises. So, you know, at Christmas time is a time where we get to think about the fact that God promised that he would send his son Jesus into the world, the promised Messiah, and then he made good on that promise. And then at Easter time, we get to celebrate the fact that God made these series of of promises that Jesus would die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and that he would rise again so that we could be victorious over sin. And then he made good on those promises. You know, God makes promises and then he fulfills them. And so we don't want Christmas to just be this kind of like this one-off event. We want to create this series that's just going to be constantly just keeping it in the forefront of our minds. And, you know, another point to this series as well is you know in the season of hope it's about how you know just how in life so just how in the physical universe there are seasons throughout the course of a year in the same way in our lives there are seasons or stages of life that we can go through. There can be seasons that can feel like summer, which Ewan spoke about last week. There can be seasons of life that can be like autumn, which I'm speaking about today, or there can also be times of life that are like winter or spring. And, you know, last last week, um, Ewan's message ended with just a bit of a call to action. Everyone was given a candle, and we hope that, you know, throughout this week, you have uh, just sat around the dinner table or whatever with your family, and you have lit that candle to represent Jesus being the light of the world and then have just prayed for friends and people in your life that don't know Jesus and just praying that they would come to know Jesus. Because, you know, Christmas is a time of expectation and of hope. It's not just a busy season. Yeah, so today, autumn, you know, that's the, se- that's the season of life I'm talking about, you know. And I want to just consider what is this season of life like, what are the challenges of it, and how can we best manage this time if we find ourselves in it? Um, my, my cousin is married to a farmer and they live on this massive farm down in Albany. And what I have found, found out about farming just through talking to them and observing them is that farmers are the busiest people in the world, I think part of the reason that farmers actually have kids is because they need help on the farm. That's why farmers have no less than four kids, and normally around six, because they need to raise up kids to help out on the farm. But as busy as they are, there are two times in the year where their schedule just goes to a whole new level, and those times are autumn and spring. So in autumn, they are busy preparing the fields, they are sowing seeds, they are planting seeds, and then in spring, it goes to a whole nother level, and then they are harvesting the crops. And uh, my cousin's husband, the farmer, he broke his leg really badly in in a really bad accident. But as a farmer, you got no time off. You don't have holidays. You don't have sick leave. So he was at harvest time. He was on the tractor with a cast on, crutches to his side, just doing the spring harvest, you know. So in autumn, they sow, and then in spring, they reap. Sowing and reaping. It's one of the natural laws that governs how the physical universe works. Sowing and reaping. And the Bible tells us that sowing and reaping isn't just one of the natural laws that governs how the universe works. It's also, one of the, it's also a law, like a spiritual law, that governs how life works. You know, in the, in the physical sense, you go and you plant avocado seeds, you get avocados. You go and plant grass seeds, you get a lawn. But in the spiritual sense, it's like the humble person wins friends, the arrogant person loses friends, the person who saves gets ahead, the person who spends everything they earn falls behind. Sowing and reaping is this process that God set into effect when he created the world. It's about actions and consequences. The things that we do come back to us in a greater measure, either in this life or the next. And it's like, you know, if you just think about it, it's like a seed goes into the ground, but then a crop comes out of it. The crop is far bigger than the seed. So it's like the things we do come back to us in a far greater measure. And sometimes I think we get disturbed when we go, well, hang on a second. That guy got away with murder, and then he died. He got away with it. Or that, that, that person did a horrific crime, but now it's only been found out 20 years after they passed away. And we go, well, where were the consequences for that person? But sowing and reaping, it's about actions and consequences, but at a deeper level, it's also this assurance of justice that God sees, that God knows, and he, ensure, he ensures that people will either be rewarded or experience the consequences of their actions and so with that in mind I just want to look at this uh, key scripture for today we're going to bring it out on the screen thought I'd do something a bit different I'm going to ask everybody to read this out loud at the same time with me is that okay yeah. all right cool so you just start when I start ready yeah. no okay <laughs> just sorry okay <laughs> all right sorry guys all right three two one Let us not become weary in doing good, pause, for at the proper time, for the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So, doing good is about being godly, it's trusting God, spending time with Him, being kind to other people even when they really annoy you, listening to someone, even when in every conversation they're always talking about their problems and maybe that burdens you and, and weighs you down. But, you know, it's, even, it's also serving him faithfully, even when it hurts. You know, doing good is about being godly. It's a sacrifice. It's not easy. And if being godly and doing good was easy, then this verse wouldn't end with the four words, do not give up cuz you don't have to worry about quitting things that are easy the decision to quit is normally when something's really hard you know nothing worth doing is easy having a child that's fantastic right it's amazing it's not always easy <laughs> That's great. It's not always easy, but it's worth it. Being married is awesome, but it's not always easy, but it's worth it. Being a Christian isn't always easy, but it's worth it. Nothing worth doing is easy. And so today, the title of my message is How to Not Give Up. You know, how can we not give up when times are tough and when we find ourselves in this kind of autumn season of life, where we are just like sowing, investing, preparing, and we're looking around and we just don't really see the fruits of our labor. You know, a farmer, when they put the seed in the ground, the crop doesn't come up like that. It's time. You put a seed in the ground and then you wait. And the question is, are you willing to wait? Are you willing to wait for God to bring the harvest? Or when times get tough and you feel that ache and that agony in your soul and you're just going, man, God, when are you going to bring that breakthrough? In that time, will you give up or will you wait for the proper time? So how to not give up. Three points I want to talk about. And if it's okay with you, I'll just have a drink of water. So the first point is be careful of weariness of heart. Be careful of weariness of heart. The tiredest and the weariest I've ever been, and Paul and Yvette who've just had a baby, they'll probably discovering this right now. But the tiredest, the weariest I've ever been was three months after my son Ezra was born. Because by three months, by the uh, three-month mark, All of the sleep deprivation I had experienced just finally caught up to me, and I was just walking around like a zombie. And I remember one morning, I got up for work and I did my normal routine—you know, breakfast, shower, 1,000 push-ups—and on the left hand, and you know, and I was just like, I was really tired, but you know, I was ready for work. I had my bag on my back, ready to get into the office for a 9 a.m. start. And then Chanel, my wife, she comes up to me, she's like, Joel, Joel, are you okay? I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, what's wrong? I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, it's three o'clock in the morning. (laughs) Where are you going? I didn't have to be in work for six hours. But I was so fatigued and so weary that I just had no idea what was going on. You know, that's an example of physical weariness. And physical weariness can be cured by sleep, by rest, by a holiday, But that's not the type of weariness that this scripture is talking about. This scripture is talking about a deeper level of weariness, like a weariness of the soul and of the heart. And this type of weariness, you can go away on a holiday, you can have a good night's sleep, but then you can still wake up and it's there. Have you ever felt that? Like there's been something that you've been going, you know, something that's just been on your heart, weighing you down. You've gone to sleep, but it's still there. You've gone on a two-week holiday, but you're still thinking about it that's weariness of heart and it's just like a level deeper and this is this is the type of weariness it's talking about the word weary when you look at the greek word it also means to lose heart so you can call, you can say weary or you can say to lose heart and to lose heart is when a person loses their encourage loses their courage and enthusiasm for something because they think it's difficult when you lose heart You lose your courage and enthusiasm for something because you think it's difficult. It might happen like that, just suddenly descend upon you, or it might happen over a process of time. Entire battles have been won and lost because one side got the momentum, and then the other side just looked at what was happening around them. They got overawed by it, and then they convinced themselves that it was over before it was really over. And you see that in sport as well. Just the team that maybe they're two points ahead, then the other team gets this streak, and then the other team just goes, oh, man. And you see it in their body language. They've lost heart. Best example I have of losing heart in action was at our old church. Janelle, uh, she organized this amazing Easter production. And in the middle of the Easter production, the idea was this a video would come onto the screen showing this little girl in our church running around in a white dress holding a balloon and she'd just be running around through a field. And then the plan was that when this video ended, that little girl from behind stage would run out onto the stage wearing the same dress with the same balloon, would do a few pirouettes and let it go. I don't know why she was releasing the balloon. I don't understand that, but that was the plan. So what happened in the middle of the service was the video came on And the little girl was behind stage with Janelle ready for her big moment to come out. But when this little girl peered from behind stage and saw 300 people in the audience, she she just went into this sudden panic. And she just became utterly convinced that going out on that stage, twirling and whirling around a few times and releasing that balloon, she became so convinced it was impossible and that she was incapable of doing it. She had this complete meltdown. In one moment, all of her courage and enthusiasm went away and she totally refused to go out onto the stage. But the video is still playing and the show must go on and so Janelle has a decision to make. What does she do? Who does she bring in to replace this girl? And then the video stopped and so Janelle just grabs the balloon and she runs out onto stage (laughs) wearing a different dress And obviously there was a little girl in the video that has now grown into an adult. And then Chanel does a few pirouettes, releases the balloon. And, you know, no one in the congregation even, like, yeah, even came up and asked her anything about it because the show must go on. But that is an example of losing heart. It's like, oh, my goodness, there's too many people. What if they think I'm, you know, an idiot or whatever? No. And she just totally refused. So we know that we ourselves are in a stage of life maybe where we are maybe enduring weariness of heart when we are just feeling cynical when we are just in despair when we're feeling helpless and hopeless and when we have thoughts like what's the point in me being kind to that person when they're never kind to me what's the point of me having integrity when no one else in my workplace does why should, I bother to listening, why should I bother listening to them when they're always talking about themselves and never asking about me? Why bother helping them when no one else helps me? When you're having sort of like these feelings of despair and of helplessness and you're, just your thoughts are running to that kind of why bother or what's the point kind of place, that's an indication that you are just like in a place where you've got weariness of heart. You're feeling tired maybe physically, but also in your heart spiritually. And you, you might ignore the warning light that comes onto your car about filling up with, p- with petrol or maybe putting the oil in, but when you sort of realize that you are struggling with weariness of heart, these are warning signs that shouldn't be ignored because once your courage and enthusiasm begins to drain and ebb away in your heart, then unless it's addressed, it's only a matter of time Before you either pull the pin and give up, or your body will force you to give up due to burnout. You know, the most significant solution that I have found for weariness of heart, and I I think a lot of you will have found this at different times in your life as well, is God. And maybe you don't want that answer because sometimes we come to church and we kind of know what the answer is but we're sort of hoping that the person at the front or maybe our friend might give us different advice. (laughs) God is the silver bullet. You know, in Isaiah chapter 40, it tells us that God not only helps to pull us out of weariness, but he also stops us from falling back into it. And it says this, he says, he gives strength to the weary, he increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary And young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles, they will run and not grow weary, they will walk and not faint. You know, His power and His strength in us can pull us out of weariness, but it can also stop us falling back into the pit of weariness. And if we will go to Him regularly in prayer, in worship, in just reading the Word, then we will find that that strength come into our soul. And we'll find that, that strength that refreshes and revives us, but also that can just help us to kind of run and not grow weary and walk and not faint. The second point I want to say about how we can not give up and how we can continue doing good and trusting God is to be patient. We live in a microwave world. We're used to fast food, same-day delivery, instant loan approvals, instant results. You know, we, we want it and we want it now. And I've even heard on the grapevine that maybe one day in Australia, we'll be lucky enough to get high-speed internet. I've heard it so far away. You know, the world we live in just gets faster and faster and faster. Our schedules get busier and busier and busier. People thought that email would be the solution to their busyness and that things would become more efficient. Things just got busier. Technology is advancing at this crazy rapid rate. We live so fast, we're so busy, but God stays the same. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He wasn't in a rush yesterday. He's not in a rush today. And yep, he definitely won't be in a rush tomorrow. Galatians 6 9, if we, sorry, Mark, if we can just bring that up. If you can just flick back to that. The question would be when will there be breakthrough in my life if I don't give up? Galatians 6 9 says at the proper time. Then you might go, well, How long might the proper time be? Does that mean I might be waiting for breakthrough for two minutes, two days, two weeks, two years? I don't think that's the sort of question we should be asking. How long might the proper time be? How far away might that be? I think the question we need to be asking ourselves is Am I willing to wait? That's the real question we need to be asking. Am I willing to wait? Joseph, one of the great characters of the Old Testament, he's 17 years old when God gives him two amazing, God-inspired dreams. 17 years old. And then like that, his brothers abduct him, throw him into a pit, and then sell him into slavery in Egypt. All of his hopes are dashed. These dreams that God has given him look like they're not going to come true. For him, the proper time is 24 years. 24 years it takes until the God-inspired dreams come to reality in his life. Those dreams that he had when he was 17 years old were his brothers bowing down before him. The very next thing that happens is those brothers that are meant to submit to him destroy his life. They throw him into a pit. And it just seems like God is doing the exact opposite of what he said he will do. But Joseph never gives up. Even when he's feeling weary, even when he's maybe having thoughts in his mind like, God, where are you? He never gives up. He never loses hope. And then 24 years later, when he is overseer of Egypt, they come before him at the age of 41 and then they bow down before him. And he said this, he said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. What I see in that is Joseph is saying it was worth the wait. We live in a microwave kind of world where we want it now, but we serve a slow cooker kind of God (laughs) who wants us to wait, wait for the proper time. And that wait is agonizing at times, but the promise to us in that scripture is that if we wait, we will reap a harvest of blessing. And the third point I want to share with you is this, is have hope. I want to share this other verse with you. It's about waiting on God, and it comes from Romans chapter 8, verse 18. And the reason I wanted to share this with you is because when I was preparing this message, suddenly I just remembered that there was this commentary that I had in my bookshelf written by a theologian, John Stott. And after this, I'll just show you what he writes about the two words in this verse, eager expectation. So let's look at the, the verse first, then we'll look at what he says about it. Romans 8, 18 and 19 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of god to be revealed here's what john stott says about eager expectation he says the word for eager expectation is i'm sorry i don't know what that word is or something like that right so the word for eager expectation is a really long one which is derived from kara the head it means to wait with the head raised and the eye fixed on that point of the horizon from which the expected object from which the expected object is to come so if you just imagine someone standing on a mountain they're looking out into the horizon and they just their eyes are fixed on that point on the horizon from which they are expecting something to come he then goes on to say it depicts somebody standing on tiptoe or stretching the neck craning forward in order to be able to see. So they are standing there and because there is something on the horizon and they are eagerly anticipating that, it's actually physically changing their posture. They're not sitting down defeated. They, 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 their whole body changes and corresponds to what they are expecting in the future. And this is a great picture of hope. Hope is a confident, eager expectation of something good in the future. You know, a person, so our expectations of the future influences how we live in the present. you ever thought about that? Our expectations of the future influences how we live in the present. You can tell the level of a person's hope based on their face. I'm sure that you've had... People come to you that know you well, and they've said to you, Man, what's wrong? You just don't look so good today. Because they can just see on your face, maybe you're just a bit downcast. Hope actually changes the way a person stands. You know, a person who believes that God will come through for them, longs for it, looks for it, waits confidently and patiently for it. A person with a weak hope in God, they maybe wait for a bit, but they are panicked. They're in fret. They're in despair, always wondering about the what if. And that becomes so uncomfortable for them that in the end, they give up and they don't wait for the proper time. Hope rises in our hearts when we read, when we reflect, when we memorize, when we recite to ourselves the promises, the precious promises that God has for us. and All of those promises are in scriptures there's over 3,000 promises God's promises to us in Scripture and one of those is Galatians chapter 6 verse 9. as I've been reading that and just meditating on that on that this week it's just given me so much courage, so much enthusiasm to continue on even though at different times I'm like man is it worth it because this verse tells me it is. what I love about that picture as well, is hope is also it's about a person who is looking beyond their immediate circumstances because this person has a sense of hope in their heart that's come from the precious promises to them in scripture because of that they look beyond their immediate circumstances and they are filled with eager expectation for the good that they are hoping in and waiting for from the future You know, every person here today has a different story. I know some of your stories. I know some of you have been in this time of autumn for a long time. And you're just going, man, this is exhausting. I'm fatigued. I'm struggling. And maybe you're wondering, you know, can I go on? And my encouragement to you today is to not give up and to wait for the proper time because the thing about the harvest is that it is far bigger and it far exceeds our expectations. The crop is always bigger than the seed. And if you're willing to wait, I believe that God will bless you for it. And when you came in this morning, everyone was given a capsule. And in that capsule, there's some seeds in there. And it's also got the, the verse that we've been looking at today, Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. And we've given this to you because we just want this to be a reminder for you to not give up. And you can do whatever you want to do with these seeds. You, you might plant them. You might just keep this capsule. And as long as you just keep going and don't give up, I'm happy. Also, I just want to say today that there might be people here that, you know, you've, you've come to church. And right now in this present moment, you don't have a relationship With Jesus well if you just think about these seeds I was thinking about this there's a there is a parable in the New Testament where Jesus talks about a farmer that's going around and he's scattering seeds and in that story that is a metaphor for Jesus Jesus is the farmer and the seeds represent the gospel and the gospel is the good news that the that the Jesus that was promised to come into the world came And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus died for the forgiveness of sins and that he rose again so that anybody who would put their trust in him can have everlasting life, can find real peace, real joy, real relief from the weariness of heart. And so today I just want to say to you that no matter what you do today, whether you accept Jesus into your heart or you don't, you'll probably find that at different times in your life, from today, you'll still continue to hear about Jesus because he is always sowing. He is always investing into people's lives. He wants everybody to know about him. And maybe the reason that you've perhaps been a little irritated by hearing about Jesus all the time, it's not about the person that's telling you. It's about the God that is moving that person to tell you about Jesus. He is always sowing and investing into our lives. He is desperate for us to know him. And so that's why every week at this church, we provide an opportunity for people who don't know Jesus to take that step. And so what we're going to do right now is we're just going to, I'm just going to ask everyone to bow your heads and close your eyes in prayer. And I'm just going to, before we pray, I'm just going to ask today, if there is anybody here.